Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow tonight. We're breaking down the Xfinity and Truck Series races from this weekend. Justin Allgaier took the checkered flag in really impressive fashion at the Johnsonville 180 at Road America, and then it was another controversial finish in the Chevrolet Silverado 250 Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Justin Haley was victorious after teammates took each other out by making contact. If you haven't seen the clip, go watch it. Something else. We'll discuss all that, plus silly season. What's going to happen, guys? What's going to happen? We don't know. There's a lot of rumors. And silly season's in full swing. A lot of rumors out there. We'll talk about all that as well here on Talking Circles. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the show at any time here tonight. Talk about anything you want to talk about, whether you want to talk about this weekend or the silly season. Hit us up, 917-889-8280 here tonight. First, it was Justin Allgaier, John, on Saturday, Johnsonville 180. At Road America, uh, he led 14 laps, not tipped, finished second. Third was Daniel Hemmer, Cole Custer, Elliott Sadler rounded out the top five. Justin March, sixth. Ross Chastain, seventh. James Davison, who was having a really good day before contact with him, before he spun out after contact uh, with Brandon Jones. Ninth was Brandon Jones. And then tenth was Andy Lally and a one-off field there for Mario Goslin. A good job by him. And if you care, Bill Elliott in his return to the Xfinity Series. Finished in the 20th position. But, John, what do you think about the Johnsonville 180 at Road America? Uh, Allgaier and Victory Lane, he had a, a – his car owner, Dale Jr., went on Twitter and said, I don't know why this guy's not in the Cup Series. He belongs in the Cup Series. I thought a very impressive win. So far, a very impressive season for Justin Allgaier. Yeah, I think Justin Allgaier had a great run, his uh, fourth win of the season. He's going to be in good shape when it comes to playoff time. And it wasn't just a um, – pull it out at the last second. He dominated that race. I mean, there was a couple restarts there where him and Christopher Bell got into each other. Um, it looked like they were going to try to play smash up Derby on, on one of the restarts. I thought they were both going to take them t- take each other out, but all once uh, Davidson got into trouble, bumping into uh, Brandon Jones and everything made his mistake and left the opening for all to get around him. And Allgaier pulled out to what almost a five over a five second win over Matt Tift. Allgaier's just he's turned into a really really good road course racer, and not just that he's turned into he I think he's the guy to beat in the Xfinity Series for the championship. It's between him and Christopher Bell. Everybody else is just fighting to be in the make it to Homestead, but I think it's going to be between Allgaier and Christopher Bell. And right now I'm giving the edge to Allgaier because. He's able to run on every discipline of track. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, and I think that's what he's starting to show. I mean, he's been in this Xfinity Series for a while now. I mean, you think about when he first started in the Xfinity Series, he was running for uh, Roger Penske back in 2009, 2008. And he showed some, some promise there, no doubt about it, but he's really come into his own here. I don't know if it's, you know, the, the experience he's had or these race cars – He's finally in cars that can really win a lot of races. Uh, but, he, you know, four wins this year, and the season's not even over. He's definitely the favorite to win this championship as we get ready to go here. The Xfinity Series has two races to go for the championship. They have Darlington, like the Cup Series, and Indianapolis as well. It'll be two companion events in the Cup Series uh, before they get to the playoffs. So uh, definitely a great day. Allgaier's got four, 19 playoff points. Christopher Bell, who's not as good as a road racer as Justin Allgaier, he's got 24 playoff points. Those two right now, when you look at this series, John, I think you look at them and you say, hey, those are two guys who um, are, are the favorites for a championship. But a guy to keep an eye on and somebody who look at right now and say, well, he's a really extreme dark horse. But some interesting news over the weekend about Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain usually drives the number four car for J.D. Motorsports. Uh, over on Darlington, Las Vegas, a chase race, and I believe Richmond, um, and the number 42 car for Chip Ganassi Racing. John Hunter Nemechek and 
Kyle Larson has split time. I think uh, even Jim McMurray's run time in that car this year as well uh, for a few races. So Chastain gets into that race car. DC Solar is going to be the sponsor. A, nice to see a sponsor step up here and support somebody who's in the playoffs. This is something where a, a, a guy who's overachieved this year in his equipment and his team uh, to go out there and really perform at JD Motorsports and make the playoffs, he's going to have a legit shot at least in these three races to go out and win and win one of these three. Um, it's going to be nice to see what Ross Chastain's got. He could be a dark horse if he pulls off one of those wins there at Chip Ganassi Racing. Corey LaJoy thinks so. He tweeted it. Uh, interesting stuff there from Ross Chastain this weekend as well. I really hope that Ross Chastain's able to do something in that 42 car when he's in it and show that he, I mean, he's been respectable driving for premium motorsports in the cup series. I mean, premium motorsports in reality is basically running what three, four year old chassis. Um, there is nothing special to premium motorsports and Ross Chastain has held his own the best you can when you're in um, barely funded equipment, let alone low budget and all that good stuff. He's done really well for Johnny Davis Motorsports, and I think it's really cool that Johnny Davis and Chip Ganassi has worked this out for Ross Chastain and DC Solar to come up to help Ross Chastain as they go toward the uh, championship. The one thing that I'm kind of um, sad about is here, here is Johnny Davis with this team that is they, – they're – they have enough to get by. There's nothing special. Johnny Davis does everything he can. If there's anybody who can maximize the dollar in NASCAR, it's a guy like Johnny Davis. And Chastain's going to make the playoffs in Johnny Davis equipment. And when they get to the playoffs, there's going to be spots where Ross Chastain is not in Johnny Davis equipment. So what happens if, let's say, for example, Chastain wins at Richmond? And... Does Chip Ganassi say, hey, we can win a championship in our car? Or what happens to the Johnny Davis ride? Does somebody drive the four? Does some, somebody go with that? I mean, I, I want to see Ross Chastain do well. He is a dark horse. He's run well. But we've never really seen him in really good equipment. He's 334 points back behind Allgaier. And... 322 behind Elliott Sadler for fourth place. He's going to have to win somewhere in the playoffs to get moving ahead. It's just one of those things of how is it going to work if he does win one in Ganassi's car? Is he going to go back to Johnny Davis and drive the four? Is he going to keep running Ganassi cars? How's that going to work? And then once you get in that good ride, how happy are you going to be in that four car? Well, that's a good point, and uh, at least the, the second part for sure I, I totally agree with. Um, yeah, I, it's a good point. Listen, Johnny Davis has done a lot for uh, Ross Chastain in his career and vice versa. Ross Chastain has done a lot for Johnny Davis. I think you're thrilled if you're Johnny Davis for this opportunity. You're a little, probably a little disappointed, but I think you understand it. This is an opportunity for Chastain that he could not pass up. Um, and you would like to say, hey, maybe J.D. steps up their equipment and, and does uh, – and, and you know, he pulls off a miracle and gets into this into the second round, but I, I don't see it happening there. So um, this is a good opportunity. You know, Johnny Davis has been put on the map this year because of Ross Chastain and that four cars efforts this year. So they've done a great job, and um, nothing should be. And I think you know, if if um, Chastain's in victory lane with Chip Ganassi, I think the first person he thanks is Johnny Davis. You know, for the opportunity and putting him in his car and saying, listen, I would never be here without Johnny Davis. It's those people who are the lifeblood of the sport. And I totally agree with that. So, um, yeah, it's a little disappointing he won't reap the benefits from Chastain's season. But I think it's something Chastain had to do, no doubt about it. 917-889-8280. Talking Circles, Clayton Coble, John Harlow here with you tonight. Yeah, interesting weekend. What, for whatever reason, John, every single time we go up to Canada, in the Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, something wacky happens in the finish. Of the six races we run there, four times the leader is spun out. If you include John Hunter Nemechek, which he technically didn't spin out, uh, Cole Custer coming to the stripe. But you get my my jet. My you just took him 200 yards off the track and put him in the fence. 
Right. You understand what I'm saying. Um, so it came down to Noah Gregson and Todd Gilliland. Todd Gilliland was leading. Uh, slipped up in the corner. Gregson chased him down and got onto the inside of, of Gilliland in the final turn. And, bam, they made contact. Gregson went in a little hard. There's no doubt about it. Slid into Gilliland, took both of them out and spun. Justin Haley, who was running third, had a great, great day going, but uh, shouldn't have been sent in victory lane. Slid by, went into victory to win the Chevrolet Silverado 250. He, Haley advances into the second round of the playoffs, um, so he doesn't have to worry about Las Vegas or Talladega, which will be a wild card for him. Uh, a wild, wild day uh, at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Um, teammates taking each other out. Gilliland was ready to fight. Gregson at the end. Gilliland's crew chief went up and started screaming at Gregson. It was, uh, it was pretty dramatic at the end of that race. Um, what are your thoughts on the Chevrolet Silverado 250? First of all, do you blame Gilliland? Do you blame Gregson? Who's at fault there for that final contact in, in the corner there? Well, first of all, sad that Justin Haley wins the race, makes it through to the next round of the playoffs, and nobody's saying crap about Justin Haley. The funny part is when you look at Twitter and look at all the drivers, former drivers, car owners that have something to say about it. Regan Smith said the door was open because Todd Gilliland left the door open a hair going into the final turn. And um, Regan Smith said the door was open and Noah Gregson went for it. Teammate or not, he's racing for a championship. It's a move he needed to do. The door shouldn't have been open. But then you go to Eric Jones, who says, I understand that as a racer, but the angle, at that angle, he was never going to make the turn. Dale Jr. pipes in. The four ran him pretty tight, too. Could see them both doing the corner a little bit differently. Parker Klingerman. I might be the only one who sees it this way, but the door was open. Noah Gregson went for it. Um, that was Regan Smith's one. Parker Klingerman said, well, if Todd does defense, then Noah does the same thing John Hunter Nemechek did to Custer. It's a no-win situation for Todd Gilliland. Todd Bodine said, agree with the analysis, but Noah should have done an outside in move instead of because Todd's angle was so bad going into the corner. And Junior said Noah was going to end up in tears. You could see that coming a mile away. Um, but he took, But the line the four took into the corner was straighter than Steve Austin on a V8-powered four-wheeler. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. You get down a little further, Jeb Burton said that guy needs a good ass-kicking after the move. So, I mean, you can't – Kyle Larson, well, that was dumb. I mean, there's no win in that situation. I think at the end of the day, if I'm Noah Gregson, I'm running for a championship. I want to win the race. You are correct. The thing is, he could have finished second and had the points lead coming out of the race, or he could finish ninth and not have the points lead. So, yeah, that checkered flag's there. You can see it. But at the end of the day, they're, you're racing for a big trophy, not this one checkered flag. I would have rode behind yeah, Burton. No. Road behind Gill and taking the second place. Well, uh, it's easy to say from uh, you know not, when we're not in Canada, not behind the drivers' wheel, and these guys are competitive. And I don't blame Gregson for going into the corner. I think he took it a little too hard. And here's my issue with this one and the ARCA finish with Joe Graff Jr. up there at Berlin. Um, I believe they went into the corner saying, "I don't really don't care what's going to happen." And some people like that, and some people say. You know what? That's what it's supposed to be. When at all costs, that's fine. Um, but I do think you should race with respect at all times because that's how you should. You know, if you want respect, you, you have to give respect. And uh, I think at the end of the day, there it was. It was he went in there going, you know, what? I really don't care, and took out Gilliland. And obviously, he didn't mean to spin himself out, but the momentum took him that way. Uh, I read a lot of things on Twitter like you do and, and Facebook and social media, and uh, I try not to get caught up in too much of it, but here's something else I want to discuss ask you. Do you race him any differently there at the final lap because he's your teammate? Do you think that crosses your mind going, well, he's my teammate. These guys work on the same cars with me. If there's nobody I want to win other than, than me, it's my teammate. 
uh, which is what Gregson said at the end of the race. So what are your thoughts on that, John? Do you think you run differently uh, if you're Gregson there or if you're somebody else because you're running against a teammate, or do you not worry about that aspect of it? I think at the end of the day, what I'm looking at as Noah Gregson is eight races to determine who's going to be the champion of the Camping World Truck Series. You're one of the eight guys who have a chance. And he cost himself a chance by the way he drove that final corner. I mean, luckily, they were far enough ahead of everybody that they were both still able to finish in the top 11. But second's a hell of a lot better than ninth. Yeah, he was going for the win, and if the hole was bigger, I could see it. But then again, when you put that helmet on, common sense goes out the window, and all, you, all you're doing sniffing checkers. And Noah Gregson went for it, wasn't able to make the move, wasn't able to get by Todd Gillen without taking both of them out. You want your driver to be aggressive. And I can tell you flat out, if Kyle Busch was running that 18 truck and not Noah Gregson, 99.9% chance he does the same thing. The only thing is, Kyle Busch wouldn't wreck the truck. He would have won the race. Yeah, you're probably right. Absolutely. And and I don't blame Greg. Honestly, I think it was, you know, Gilland obviously knew he was going to try and do that because that that corner is famous for calamity. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think he could have given him more room. I think both of them were a little bit at fault. When you look at it and you say, well, we're, you're, you're telling Gregson not to be aggressive there, not to do whatever it takes. Then you've got to tell Gilland not to do whatever it takes, too. And you could argue by looking at that footage, Gilland threw a block on Gregson. Uh, now, it's not the normal prototypical block where he threw his truck in front of Gregson, but he tried to throw a block on the side of him, and it you know, didn't pay off. It took both of them out. So, again, I, I think it's just hard racing at the end, but Gregson went into that corner – with no holds bar. I think that um, that's the difference, you know, and you think that this playoff, these playoffs with the way they are before we move on and talk about Philly season, um, with the way they are, these playoffs and how you have to win. And like you say, Gregson's going for all. He doesn't want to, listen, I don't blame these truck drivers for giving it all because they got to go to Talladega. Talladega is an elimination race in round one. They don't, nobody wants to deal with Talladega. I don't blame them. Uh, who would want to deal with Talladega when it's an elimination race? So you can't blame these guys for going hard and trying to win a race. You think that, in the back of Gregson's mind, has something to do with it where you sit there and say he didn't want to, he, he has to win to advance to the, to, the play, to the next round of the playoffs. That's why it was like that because I just feel like, John, more recently than in the last, you know, in the last decade, for whatever reason, we've seen these, these drivers take each other out and really not have any reper- repercussion from it. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, there are repercussions from it. I mean, look, John Hunter Nemechek's reputation went through the fricking crapper for a couple of years because of the move he made on Cole Custer, even though he was already in the playoffs because Canadian tire motorsports park used to be the elimination. I mean, used to be the final race before the playoffs. Now it's the first run in the playoffs, which makes it even crazier. Um, you can't really fault Gregson for that. At the end of the day, Todd Gilliland missed the turn. He did not take the line he needed to. If he takes the right line, we don't talk about this because Gregson wouldn't have got to him. That hole wouldn't have been there. Gregson wouldn't have tried to make a hole where he knew he wasn't going to be able to make the pass. He thought he could do it because there was a hole. If Todd Gilliland doesn't miss the final turn, We're not talking about this. We're talking about Todd Gilliland's first win in the uh, Camping World Truck Series. We're talking about Kyle Busch Motorsports being 1-2. We're talking about how good Noah Gregson looked on uh, Sunday when they ran the race. But, no, we're talking about Calamity Corner for four out of six years, the final turn at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. I just think whenever they get to that turn, if you don't hit it perfect, Common sense goes out the window, and everybody's going balls to the wall trying to get that checkered flag. Yeah, it's certainly funny how that corner seems to uh, play a big role in the finish of those races at Canadian Time Motorsport Park. Give me the top ten here real quick. Justin Haley was your winner. John Hunter Nemechek finished second. A good run for him. Third was Brett Moffitt. Timothy Peters made a one-off start at uh, GMS Racing. 
finished, he finished fourth. Great run for him. Then it was Matt Crafton, Johnny Sauter, Stuart Friesen. Austin Hill, Noah Gregson ended up ninth. And Alex Tagliani, the Canadian, finished in the tenth position. When you look at the points, we talked about um, Haley locking himself in. He's locked into the next round at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. The, the two drivers who are in the playoffs really had a tough day. Grant Enfinger in 17th. That's a tough one. And Ben Cody and Ben Rhodes, excuse me, uh, he finished 14th. So those two guys really have to step it up uh, if they want to make these playoffs here. Las Vegas is a very big race because, like I said, at Talladega, anything can happen. So uh, the Fords have been a little bit behind on speed. Anything can happen right there, and those two uh, have to really step it up at Las Vegas if they want to advance to the next round of the playoffs. You're going to see it in the playoffs. It's going to come down to Sauter, Brett Moffitt, and Stuart Friesen's having a good run. He's turned himself into a pretty good little racer. And now that Justin Haley's made it through, you already got one locked into the second round. And if you started at the beginning of the, and you handicapped the uh, eight drivers who made the playoffs, I don't think you're talking Justin Haley as one of the people you are locked into getting into the second round of the playoffs, especially by winning on a road course. Agreed. So wholeheartedly, anything can happen. Vegas is going to be very interesting. It's the first time we've got to be in the chase. And then it's Talladega, of course, for the truck series. So keep an eye on that as we move forward. 917 something all the way for, I'm sure. The selling season rumors here and everything that goes on. We're going to put a little bit of, of fact or fiction here, John. Uh, I want your opinion on it. First of all, uh, one of the major rumors that came out really over last week, uh, and I want your thoughts on it, RacingBoys.com reported that Front Row Motorsports, excuse me, Furniture Racing, uh, is discussing a possible deal with NASCAR Xfinity slash Truck Series team GMS Racing that, if completed, would see Furniture Racing owner Barney Visser sell the assets of the team to GMS Racing. Sources said the number 78 team will be running again in the Cup Series in 2019, but it's unclear whether GMS would buy the, the charter from Furniture Racing and the assets right away, or whether the two could form an alliance in 2019 before GMS acquires a charter in 20. Sources said the deal was still being worked out and not yet completed. Uh, your thoughts? This, this is crazy, John, in my opinion. This is a the defending series champion, the team that's the defending series champion with the charter that's the defending series charter with Martin Trix Jr., Cole Pern, that whole organization. Sounds like the owner, Barney Visser, and we knew he wasn't going to put his own money into it. Um, but, man, oh, man, John, for all this charter nonsense we've seen the last three years, none of it seems to be working. If, if the championship team can't make it work financially, that's what it's looking like right now here. Well, again, I still I go back to Brian France giving away the title sponsorship for the series to Monster Energy for $20 million a year. And then teams like Jimmy Johnson, everybody else, $30 million a year to fund one car when you can have the whole series for $20 million. It, the dollars and cents don't work out. Um, there is an update to the uh, Furniture Row story. Racingboys.com talked to Furniture Row Racing President Joe Garoni, and he said that the priority is to fill the sponsorship void created by Five Hour Energy's departure. On Friday, Garoni and GMS President Mike Bean confirmed that they met. They've said it doesn't look like it's going to be a deal where there, it says neither party expects a deal. But one thing you could possibly look at is Garoni might be talking to Mike Bean about the possibility of Elite Air coming on and taking over the sponsorship void left by Five Hour Energy. That's a possibility that could be there. And maybe down the road they signed a letter of intent or something like that. If you see a Legion Air on the on the seventy eight car for half the season next year, these rumors may be coming closer to fruition than people think. And it's just because um I think they want to get Spencer Gallagher to the cup series. And right now he's doing his penance for his uh failing the drug test, so he's bouncing back and forth between trucks. I mean, I don't think uh, GMS has put him back in his own Xfinity car yet. He's going to drive a truck 
the rest of the season. But I think this is one of the things you look at. 2020 is a possibility. Barney Visser's getting up there in age. He missed Homestead last year when they won the championship because he was recovering from heart surgery because he had open heart surgery, had a heart attack. Barney Visser isn't a young pup. I mean, you look, we've talked about it many times on this show. You look at the ownership in the Cup Series of the big teams. Richard Childress is pushing 70. Roger Penske's 80. Richard Petty's 80. Rick Hendricks in his 70s or getting ready to hit his 70s. The young owners, Chip Ganassi's in his early 60s, and Tony Stewart is in his, Tony's in his 40s, but Gene Haas is in his 60s. So you're looking at not, and Joe Gibbs is in his 70s. You're not looking at a bunch of young pups with race teams. You're looking at a bunch of old farts who are racers, but who's the next batch that's going to own these teams? And somebody like Maury Gallagher with Mike Beam running the show for him is somebody who would be able to be a younger owner in the group. And Barney Visser might be finally saying, hey, I got where I I did everything I could. I got to where I wanted to be. I have a big trophy in my shop in Denver, Colorado. Maybe it's time to walk away while he's on top instead of waiting until the fall happens. 917-889-8280 here talking with Clayton Coldwell, John Harlow here with you. You want to talk about the silly season? Listen, I, I would be shocked. I... I Everybody keeps saying that there's a uh, earth-shattering piece of news coming. Now, I think that's one possibility. There's another possibility to touch on here in a second. But, you know, we've seen a championship team shut down a year after they won a championship, and that was Rusty Wallace. When Rusty Wallace won in 1989, Blue Max Racing uh, and Raymond Beetle shut down after the 1990 season. Rusty went to Team Penske uh, in 1991. So, not unprecedented, but here's the thing, John. These charters were supposed to make everything better. They were supposed to say, hey, you know, um, yeah, if your team, you know, isn't uh, what making money, well, the charter's going to help that. It might not cure it all 100%, but at least it will help you and get you something at the end. Well, this week, we saw a charter be purchased for $2 million, by, just over $2 million, by Front Row Motorsports and, and their owner, uh, Bob Jenkins. They bought the 23 charter, which was up in the air for a while, John. We, we knew that uh, GMS Racing had put a bid on it for about $1.8 million, $1.7 million around there, and Front Row Motorsports put one that beat it at $2 million. Um, were you surprised by that number? Now, keep in mind, it's one, and I will say this, it's one of the least valuable charters in the garage because the 23 car has not performed very well over the last couple of years. Um, but still, you know, were you surprised by that number? And what did you think of that? You know, were you disappointed GMS didn't get, the, get that charter? What are your thoughts? Well, GMS had the opportunity to get the charter because there was a chance to outbid the $2.1 million that uh, Front Row Motorsports put in. If you remember, Front Row Motorsports already bought a charter from BK Racing. I think they paid, what, $3 million for it whenever they first came out with these charters. So now they've got the equipment and the charter for two point one. One of the things that uh, Front Row Motorsports is trying to figure out is how they're going to run it. Are they going to run it as a Toyota with the stuff that they have and just finish out the season with it? Because they miss a race, that charter goes back to NASCAR. One of the things that I was listening to Moody, I want to say last week, and one of the things you heard people, especially Moody was getting into it as well. In reality, who is running what charter? The 43 is running the 44 charter because the 43 charter is being leased somewhere else. The 21 bought the, what used to be the 16 charter from Roush Fenway. Uh, the 78 bought a charter and then sold a charter for the 77 last year. Are about um, as worth they they're about as worth as much as the toilet paper you wipe your butt crack with. You, me, and Lee in Virginia could probably go out and buy a charter. And the way it is anymore, thirty six cars have charters. They're not even filling the field at forty. Yeah, you're going to make more money out of it by having a charter, but you're not missing a race if you don't. So the charter is basically 
worthless. Other than a little bit of extra, I mean, more money goes to the chartered teams and the four independent teams that are available to run a race. But right now, you don't miss it. You don't go home, except maybe the Daytona 500, possibly the Brickyard. You don't go home if you don't have a charter. So that doesn't mean it, that doesn't lock you into the race. Yeah. No, I agree. And, you know, I, Rob Coffin and the RTA was a driving force behind these charters. They were a, a you know, they kind of created a lot of the, the stuff that goes with it. You know, I think there's four different pools, if I got that correctly, that goes into these charters. One's TV money, one's purse money. Uh, then there's a, a certain amount you make for performance, and that's why the charter of the 23 wasn't as valuable as, let's say, a charter of the 22 car or something like that. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on these charters and it's just obviously, and I know sponsorship is still important. It's always going to be important, but it just, when you think about when those were dispersed before the 2016 season, there's six teams now, um, and seven at the four, if 78 decides to sell or merge or whatever, that they've really changed up, changed hands completely or shut down completely. Um, and really the only big team that's acquired a charter is the Woodrunners. Other than that, there's a lot of small teams. And not that they shouldn't have it, but I think it's hurt the competition. And this was something that was supposed to help everybody and help the competition. And it really so – we still I guess my point is we still have the same problems we had three, four, five, five, six years ago before these charters. And it's really hurt the competition in this sport because a lot of people like the fact that when we had 40 cars – uh, you had more than 40 cars, and, and you had to qualify your way into the field. The duels were a lot more interesting. It was a lot more competitive. I mean, all you need to do is watch Bump Day at Indianapolis to know how how intense qualifying can be and how entertaining it can be. We don't have that in NASCAR anymore at all, and these charters are a big reason why. So we've hurt the competition, and it really hasn't helped the financial state of anything. So um, – to me, John, they need to look at this and make some big changes here uh, with these with this whole charter system. And I know they're probably going to revisit it, I think, after the 2020 or 2021 season. But I think they need to say, call an, an audible there and say, you know what, let's revisit it after the 2018 season and see if we can't at least get the money working in a better direction for these owners because too many teams are shutting down still and too many teams just aren't making enough money off these charters. Well, you add on to it, uh, Rob Coffin's the guy – who led the way of getting the charters to put into place and who was the first person to sell two charters, Rob Kaufman, whenever Michael trip racing went away. Uh, the other part is you look at how the charters are, look at the disbursement of the money, all that stuff. Kurt Busch probably going to leave Stuart Haas racing because of money. Brad Keselowski did not get the contract he expected from team Minsky last year because of money. The charters were supposed to be a locked-in guarantee of X amount of money to these teams where the drivers, they could afford to pay the good drivers good money. They could afford to pay good crews good money. And now you're seeing really good. Matt Kenseth walked away from the sport because he could not get a contract he thought he was worth. And that's partially because Brian France did the Monster Energy deal partially because the charters were supposed to guarantee financial solvency for these teams to give them a, whenever they sell, unlike when Ricky Rudd went out of business where it was basically a yard sale at his race shop. They're supposedly worthwhile whenever it comes time. And you think about the 23 charter, it sold for less than Ron Devine allegedly owes the IRS. So what good is it? He's paid more money and lost more money than he'll ever get out of that charter. So I don't think the system that while it's no better than the piece of paper you and I will sign our names to whenever we sign up and find our charter, um, it's worthwhile. NASCAR does need to go back and look at things. NASCAR needs to go back and look at the whole uh, business model of the sport attendance is down tv ratings are down partially because they keep putting everything on cable i mean don't get me wrong i i love the darlington race i 
can't wait for the Darlington race on Sunday night. It's on NBCSN. And you look last week when Fox ran the race on Big Fox from Bristol. Truck race. Yeah, the truck race on Bristol on Big Fox. They got over a million viewers. Mm -hmm. They... If you look, whenever they run it on the big network, the rating is almost double what it is on the network. And that's on right. the that's on the on the networks who decide they're going to run it on their cable network instead of their big network. They're still paying NASCAR well, the same money. If you watch, they're going to go back when it's time for the next contract and say, "Hey, our ratings are down fifty percent." Well, you put the damn thing on cable. Well, and that's where NASCAR needs to negotiate a little bit and say, you know what? For the betterment of our sport, maybe we shouldn't take as much money from the TV contract, and we want more races on national TV where our fans can see it. That's where they need to swallow it a little bit, in my opinion, and do what's best for the best interest of the sport and not necessarily what makes the most money in the sport. I know that's kind of crazy that people go, oh, it's not good business. It is, though, because you can sell your ratings. you can Sponsorships will look at that. You know, for example, Jimmy Johnson doesn't have a sponsorship for next year right now. That's scary. Um, so sponsors, and it, it, you know, Jimmy Johnson and the Hendrick team can say, hey, listen, we're having this many people watch our races on TV. They go, it may, might make it a little bit easier to sell a sponsor to the 48 car. 917-889-8282. A couple other um, interesting before we go forward, play, while talking, Before we go forward, while we're still talking about the money thing, have you ever seen anybody in the France family – Turn their back on a dollar. Couldn't find a sponsor for the series. Monster said, we'll give $20 million. Whenever they were getting between 50 and and $100, depending on the year from uh, Nextel and Sprint, and they're like, okay, we'll take 20 because it's there. You look at the World of Outlaws. They used to be the five-hour energy World of Outlaws. They used to be somebody else. They went a year where they did not have a sponsor on the World of Outlaws because – Nobody was meeting the dollar number they expected or they wanted. So they went a whole year without a sponsor, and then uh, Craftsman came back on to be the sponsor of the World of Outlaws, the Sprint Car Series. I think it'd be a, it would have been a better move for NASCAR to just say, okay, we're going to eat this for a year and see if we get the sponsorship dollars we want. But no, Brian France had to have a title sponsor. Didn't matter how much uh, they undervalued it because – I don't think the sport got 40% worse or 50% worse, and they got at least 50% less out of Monster than they did for Sprint. So I think that's the beginning of the problem. Tona want every dollar they can get their hands on. Yeah, no, I I agree. And again, there used to be things I feel like sport did that looked out for the best interests of sport. And I think that's one that TV was a prime example because you could bring your ratings up just by having it on NBC and, and when you put that in place say this is what we want, we want to do it for our fans. Now I'm not saying every race and you have to totally um, you know side with the fans and everything and say well we, we took however much money but at least the majority of them especially in the playoffs I think it would make a lot more sense. You know Fox I think 13 out of 16 isn't on uh, on Fox, and only a couple are on FSN, and and now you know uh, NBC is completely opposite. I think only three or four on on NBC, and NBCSN has the rest of them. So that's sixteen races. So it's kind of like, well, what did Fox? Why is Fox putting it, and NBC's not? And really, um, you're not carrying the momentum from the start of the year to the end of the year, where you, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I just hope when they look at it, this next TV deal, they look at it from a, a a standpoint of helping the sport um, as a, you know, what's best interest of the sport and instead of taking the big dollars all the time. Another interesting rumor, John, I want to get your opinion on here. And this is something I've heard. I read it on Reddit, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. And I kind of, I'm out on the fence on this. I really don't think it's going to happen, but, um, it was brought to my attention earlier this week again by somebody who uh, said to me that they might who, – who would know, who says it, it's got legs. It might happen. So I want to get your opinion on this. So rumor is out there, 
And I don't know if you're aware that Kyle Busch is going to move KBM to the Cup Series. And uh, there's been different there's been different people, different um, drivers and everything linked to the sport, to the cars at KBM. One has been Daniel Suarez. The other has been Kurt Busch um, and Kyle Busch as well going to KBM. Now, Kyle can't, Kyle can't bring up um, KBM to the Cup Series without running his own team. It's impossible. NASCAR has a, a limit on, on four cars, teams, and that driver's included. So Kyle can't run a, uh, an operation as part of a four-car team, but he can leave to go to KBM and, and start a, a team at KBM. So the rumor is Kyle Busch bringing KBM to the Cup Series with Kurt Busch and Monster and Daniel Suarez going there as well, and Carlos Slim being part of the the situation there um, with Aris and Daniel Suarez. So a very interesting deal. I'm not sure, um, you know, whether or not that's going to happen or not. I've been on the – I really doubt it. And here's part of the reason why. I just – KBM really struggled in the Xfinity Series when they came to the Xfinity Series. And I know they got a good truck series team, and they do a lot of great things um, – in the truck series, but that's a huge, huge, huge jump um, to the cup series. I believe he'd have to shut his truck series teams down um, to do that because I don't think he would have the, inf- the influx to do that. Um, so, and I know Carlos Slim's got a lot of money, and the guy over there at Aris and all that kind of thing. Um, but to me, I, I just I would find it hard to believe that um, Kyle Busch would leave Joe Gibbs Racing, John and go to uh, bring us up his own race team at KPM, even though he's got, if he has Kurt and Carlos Slim funding it, uh, still I find that hard to believe. What are your thoughts there? Here, John there. Um, yeah, listen, I, I just I find it hard to believe, and I just don't see it happening. I think when you look at what is, is smart for Kyle Busch, he's, he's been great this season. The team's really been uh, terrific. They, they, they've won a lot of races. Everything's going great. And uh, I just find it hard to believe, John, that um, that it's going to be a, a – Kyle Busch is going to move his own truck series team to the Cup Series. You know, he struggled in the Xfinity Series when he, um, when he moved his truck series team to the Xfinity Series. He struggled, didn't win a lot of races. And to, to think that he's going to do that in Cup, I just find it hard to believe. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here if you want to join on talking circles having a little uh and here's John again. John, what do you think? KBM going to Cup Series next year? I don't think so. I call that fiction. Um I know Kyle Bush loves what he's doing at KBM. I love what Toyota's doing. We lost John there. Um yeah, I, I agree with him. I think that's totally fiction. Um and uh, I think that's totally fiction there. And listen, I just think it's something that when you look at what has happened here um, in the in the series, I just don't see Kyle Busch doing it. I, I just don't. And, and so I think that rumor, as much as I've read and, and I've heard, and it has legs that that uh, rumor, I would. And maybe that's your shattering news. I don't know. And maybe I'm going to be caught off guard. And with the rule package next year, which I think plays a major, major role in this whole thing. And the way silly season is going to go, I think it plays a major role is this new rule package for the mile and a half tracks. I think with the drafting, the driver is not going to mean as much. I think teams will, teams will um, for at least 14 races next year, uh, it'll be the great equalizer to draft. So, you know, when you look at where the, how, when the big team separates the small teams, it's the mile and a half programs. That's where you really look at it and you say, um, that's where the difference is. And I think that rule package is going to be is a huge factor of what's going on with this silly season. And maybe Kyle sits there and says, hey, um, you know, I, I really um, think that it's going to happen. Uh, but what are your thoughts, John? Do you, do you see that at all with KBM? Uh, you broke up on us last time. What do you think? 
I think KBM stays the way it is right now. Um, for the time being, it makes more sense to be that way. He's got M&Ms locked in with Joe Gibbs. He's got a great relationship with his crew chief. They've got great team, great support. Toyota's right there. Toyota hasn't really shown a desire to go past six engines. I wouldn't take that risk right now. I don't think the money's there to make it. I mean, Kyle Busch Motorsports has built themselves a nice truck team. Remember when they went Xfinity racing, Kyle Busch was driving for Kyle Busch Motorsports, and the only win they had in Xfinity was with Kurt. He won once, and that was it. They didn't win in the Xfinity series when Kyle went back to Joe Gibbs Racing, running Xfinity. He, again, he's stealing the show. So has shown they're great at trucks. They haven't shown that they're competitive in a car. Oh, I totally agree. Um, and I, I think that's where, uh, when you look at it, you say, there's just no way that's going to happen. I, I, I just can't agree more. I just think there's just no way that's going to happen. Um, you know, Kyle's got a great thing going on at Gibbs. I find it hard to believe M&M's will lead Joe Gibbs Racing and lead what's going on there uh, and, and everything that's, that's happening there. I just find that hard to believe um, that, you know, KBM's going to move to the Cup Series. I don't see him keeping their Truck Series team um, if he does that. So I just I find that hard to believe. Uh, we have a caller here. What's your name? Where are you calling from? That's probably me. Okay, call back. Yeah, call back. Yeah, call back again there uh, if if we can. So you know, I think when you look at it, you say, um, "Hey, KBM." I just don't see it happening. The other couple other interesting news tidbits, John, here for the silly season is uh, JTG Dolby Racing. A lot of rumors out there flowing around with A.J. Allmendinger. Um, A.J., I've heard from a couple of sources that A.J.'s out of that car next season. Um, I always got a long-term contract there, and when you look at his performance in that 47, I don't think it's what he nor um, the JTG team expected. Not that I don't think they expected he was going to win a lot of races, but I think they expected him to compete for playoff, the playoffs, and he hasn't done that. Um, so, and again, I think this, this whole, um, deal with the rule package on the mile and a half is going to play a huge factor in it where it's sort of the great equalizer with the draft. What are your thoughts? We lost John again there. Um, yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, what are your thoughts, John, on, on JTG and AJ Allmendinger? You think he's um, in trouble there, jeopardy of losing his ride? I believe so. I think AJ has been respectable, but hasn't been anything to light the world on fire. Uh, if there's one thing Tad Geschechter's been very good at is selling sponsorship. No matter who's been in that 47 car, whether it was Marcus Ambrose, <clears throat> whether it was Bobby Labonte, it was always fully funded. And I think the way things are going now, the salary that AJ's getting in that contract, I mean, he'll get paid to walk away, but I don't think he's a good return on investment for what they're trying to do. I think JTG Doherty's trying to look at um, who's next. Can they get somebody who has shown some promise? I mean, AJ Allmendinger, he really was anything special. He got a ride with Roger Penske and lost because he failed the drug test. He hasn't done anything spectacular in the Cup Series except win the road course and he did get himself in the playoffs that one year. Looking at somebody who could possibly move to that next step, somebody who's good on the mile and a half, somebody who's good on the short tracks. Um, the rumor is Ryan Priest going into that 47 car. And the thing is, for what Ryan Priest will cost compared to what A.J. Allmendinger costs, that's not a bad move for JTG Doherty, and I think even though Ryan Priest is on the older end of the young drivers because he's 27 going on 28, I think Ryan Priest is a good investment. He may be a year or two away from being somebody special, but you've seen him every time he's gotten a Joe Gibbs Xfinity car, he's made it go. I think he has a chance to make it go better than H. Allmendinger. Yeah, and I, and again, I, I hate to keep harping on this, and I know 
I've talked to Lee in Virginia about this numerous times, and he was kind of on the fence about it at first. But I'm telling you, this new rule package with the equal, it's going to equal the drivers out on these mile and a half program, on a mile and a half program. It, we saw what it did in the All Star race. Uh, it, it, I just think with the draft, you know, Harvick's saying that the driver's not going to mean as much next year. So I think these owners are getting that saying, well, if the driver doesn't mean as much, why am I paying a driver so much money? Where I can bring in a guy, and I bet Ryan Priest is a bad race car driver because I think he's a, he's a really good driver, and I hope he gets an opportunity. But he's not going to demand nearly as much money as AJ Allmendinger or a veteran of the Cup Series. And I think they look at it and say, well, you know, he, we know he's going to compete on the, on the short tracks where he might have to learn a little bit and where he, um, you know, uh, needs the experience is a mile and a half track. And where we struggle a little bit is mile and a half tracks, but if it's equalized and we're equal uh, or pretty much equal with the restricted plates, why am I paying a driver extra money to do that? So um, it is. It's something to kick around. It's something interesting to kick around. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. And uh, be back here next week because we'll, we'll have more great – stuff to talk about. Darlington's rollback. Can't wait for it. It's going to be a, a great weekend at Darlington Raceway. Um, this rollback weekend is always something that's that's exciting. If you like Darlington, uh, you like this weekend coming up, how could you not? It's rollback weekend. Some great schemes. Some more to come. Uh, I'm excited. I love uh, my favorite scheme right now is this, this scheme from Tyler Reddick. Old Milwaukee. That one's amazing. A tribute to Tim Richmond there. Uh, the old Hendrick Motorsports car. The old Raymond Beetle. Uh, car actually, the old Milwaukee car, old Raymond Beetle and um, Blue Max Racing Team. That's amazing. That's an amazing paint scheme. I can't wait to see that uh, on track here uh, in Talking Circles. Uh, we'll have it all for you after Darlington next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>